You're listening to SBS News. For low-lying Pacific Island states, forced relocation due to climate change impacts is now a reality. In Fiji, at least 42 villages have been listed for potential relocation in the next five to ten years. Reverend James Bagwan is an ordained Methodist minister in Fiji and also the General Secretary of the Pacific Conference of Churches. We really need to see Pacific countries be heard, be responded to, and as we keep saying, we're on the front line, but everybody's next. You know, what, we're, what you are doing to us, you are doing to yourselves. And now, more than 30 years after Small Island States called for a loss and damage fund, there's been a breakthrough. COP28 host Sultan Al-Jabir made the announcement on day one of the UN climate talks. I invite the COP to adopt the draft decision contained in document FCCC slash CP slash 2023 slash L.1. Hearing no objections, it is so decided. For the first time, wealthy nations have pledged money for the so-called loss and damage fund to recognise the impacts of climate change on developing nations that go beyond the established climate finance categories of mitigation and adaptation. Advocacy Associate Director at Caritas Australia, Damien Spruce, says it's a big deal. He was in Dubai attending COP28 when the announcement was made. Well, look, you've got um, funds for adaptation. For you know, for instance, in the Pacific, that's about building you know seawalls or mangroves or, or working. But when you can't do that, when you when things get totally wiped out, that's loss and damage. So, um, for instance, you know, when Cyclone Pam came and devastated Vanuatu in I think about 2017, half of the uh, the country's GDP was was wiped out in one hit, uh, and you had things like you know telecommunication infrastructure went down. So you need a loss and damage uh, fund that will be able to get in there and provide that resources quickly to address those big large-scale issues because otherwise, if you don't have that, then a climate crisis becomes an economic crisis, becomes a social crisis, becomes a health crisis. In 1992, the key concept of what's called common but differentiated responsibilities was endorsed by nation-states as part of an international environmental treaty – the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, the parent treaty of the 2015 Paris Agreement. The idea recognises that developing countries like small island states are bearing the brunt of the climate change impacts such as rising sea levels, even though they've emitted very little of the global historical emissions. But pinning down the exact shape of a loss and damage scheme has been challenging. While the idea was endorsed at last year's UN climate talks in Egypt, it was decided the next 12 months would be spent trying to figure out the details, including the fund structure and operational framework. An attendee of many COPs, including the latest in Dubai, Mr Bhagwan, says to see the idea of a loss and damage fund finally come to fruition 30 years on is gratifying, but it's frustrating it's taken so long. My response was uh, unfortunately double-edged. At one point, I'm, I'm glad to see that we finally have a loss and damage fund approved for operationalization. On the other hand, it's really disappointed that it's taken that long. You know, what we are seeing is a pittance in terms of the pledges. And of course, there was a comment from one of my colleagues who said that somebody should go around with a phone with PayPal to each of the countries that as they make their commitments, they need to put the money in straight away. As we've seen with the um, Green Climate Fund, with adaptation funding, lots of pledges keep getting made, 
but very little money comes in. Australia was part of the committee given the task to make recommendations on an organisational structure for the loss and damage fund, which was adopted at COP28. The fund now has a combined total of $700 million US million from countries and regional blocs including the EU, the UK, the US, the UAE, Japan, Germany, Italy and France. Australia has not pledged any money to the fund despite announcing finance for other funds, including $50 million for the Green Climate Fund and another $100 million for the Pacific Resilience Facility. Dr Spruce says that needs to change. Well, we're saying at least $100 million into the Loss and Damage Fund. Australia has said that it, it, it has been wanted to play a leading role in loss and damage, and especially for its specific neighbours, um, and has taken a role in the Transitional Committee to help set up the fund. But at the moment, despite the EU, America, uh, UK, Italy, France, um, the UAE all contributing to the fund, Australia has contributed nothing. So I need to step up its game on that. The OECD says the actual climate financing needs of poor nations could total one trillion US dollars per year by 2025. Julianne Richards is part of the Economic Loss and Damage Collective, an international network of 200-plus members, including researchers, artists and other civil society voices. She says the amount pledged so far for the Loss and Damage Fund represents less than 0.2% of what's needed. So that $400 billion is what's needed every year and the commitment to the Loss and Damage Fund at COP was $700 million. Now, that didn't include Australia committing. We've got a long way to go and there's a lot of opportunity for us to look at new ways of filling that fund. Just the five top oil companies, they made twice that in profits in just one year. So yes, it's a lot of money, but it's not an insurmountable amount of money. We in Australia tax fossil fuel companies very little. So some of our biggest fossil fuel companies that are extracting gas and coal and exporting it pay either little or no corporate tax in Australia. We could very easily change that. Aside from the amount of money in the fund, Pacific leaders have concerns about the fund's design and in particular the need to include non-economic loss and damage. Reverend Bhagwan says this factor is critical. Non-economic loss and damage, which is a key concern for many Pacific Island countries in the context of cultural and spiritual trauma that our communities experience, the impact of climate change. Those are processes now that will need investment in terms of how to develop frameworks for for funding non-economic loss and damage, which you cannot really ultimately put put a value to. Because some things for us in the Pacific are worth more than money. We're talking about lives who are lo- that have been lost. We're talking about loss of identity, loss of place, which is deeply rooted in the Pacific identity. Decisions on how the money in the fund will be allocated, including which developing countries receive the aid and what constitutes non-economic loss and damage, will begin to become clearer in January 2024, when the 26 members of the board are selected. The fund will initially be hosted by the World Bank, a decision which has concerned some campaigners who want the money issued as grants and not loans and who want developing nations to have a greater say in where the money goes. Flora Vano from ActionAid Vanuatu says it's becoming more difficult to recover from the increasing intensity and frequency of extreme weather events in Vanuatu, which has been hit by three cyclones this year alone. We are in a constant state of emergency 
from March till now, the entire year is state of emergency. Our disasters in Vanuatu, we are currently facing seven to eight in one month. And that is a cross of earthquakes to acid rain, to ash falls, to sea level rise, droughts, cyclones. You name every disasters you can get, we had it in Vanuatu. Who else will listen to us? Where else can we ask for support and help? She says the critical thing with the new fund is that the money flows swiftly to those who need it. Ms Varno travelled halfway around the world, 13,000 kilometres, to deliver a message directly to world leaders at COP28, including major fossil fuel exporter Australia. She says Australia should take stronger action to end ties to fossil fuels, as well as contributing to the loss and damage fund, particularly if it wants to make a successful bid to co-host a future COP alongside Pacific Island nations. Our future is being decided right now here at COP28 and we needed to have a clear pathway to see that our future generation can be part of our society and can call themselves Nivanuatu, being in the Melanesian ethnic groups and being identified as a Pacific Islander in the Pacific Ocean. We do not want to be erased from the map. We do not want to be forgotten. Also fighting for their survival are the 11,200 residents in Tuvalu, one of the first countries expected to be completely lost to rising sea levels in the next 50 to 100 years. The former Foreign Minister of Tuvalu, Simon Coffey, two years ago addressed COP leaders while standing knee-high in water. He's now been tasked with developing contingency plans, including creating a digital version of Tuvalu to preserve the island's culture and working to maintain the nation's statehood in international law, should the physical land disappear. Where this concept of a digital nation is, is that we're creating a jurisdiction uh, online that basically uh, represents uh, everything that is Tuvalu. And, and a part of that is, is looking at the, the metaverse and how we can use those sorts of platforms to, to capture our culture, record our history. We're still at the early stages, so we've taken some uh, capture of songs, stories, and uh, some of our local artefacts. His philosophy has been to hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. He says relocation, including Australia's offer to host 282 Valuans annually on a special visa in a bilateral treaty, is an option of last resort. The loss and damage fund is something he sees as critical to climate justice. We're contributing very little to, to, the, to the problem, yet we are facing the, the full brunt of uh, the impacts of, of climate change. But I think it, it places countries like Tuvalu in a very strong moral position uh, to, to be able to to make these demands on, on the international stage. And, and, it's, and it's not calling for countries to help uh, little countries. It's, it's a matter of justice. Countries that have uh, enriched themselves by destroying the environment have a responsibility to, uh, to compensate. Biwakwan, SBS News.